Hey, it's T with the UFOs Want to Tell You Something. So this week, we got an interview with Debbie Cobble. And I've got Ryan co-hosting with me. Sorry, Ryan, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. And I think we have a pretty good discussion. Now, one fact I want to say about Debbie is she's a very nice, sweet lady. And if you need to reach out to her... She is very helpful. And like she says in the interview, she will hear you out. So if you're going through these experiences, please reach out to somebody. Alright, let's get it. Who got into the field? Like with your experience with Bud Hopkins. Uh how I got a hold of Bud, or you know, how how the two of us connected. Yeah, just the, the beginning for some of our newer listeners not too familiar. Well, I had that experience. Um, so I'd gotten the book Missing Time out of the library <laughs> a few months before my June 30th, 1983 incident. And when I tried to read that book, I had a really hard time reading it. I kept having panic attacks all the time. Uh, you know, I'd read a little bit on it and then I'd think I was having a heart attack and I'd have to stop and finally I I never finished the book I don't think I to this day actually finished it but I had I did flip through it I looked at the pictures and I always look at the back of a book first I don't know why and I had noted that there was a, a place in the back of that book there was an address where you could write to the guy if you thought you had that experience and I remembered that so when June 30th 1983 happened months later it, it that book and bud were one of the first things that came to my mind as i looked at that mark in the yard and started to remember stuff and so i went back to the library and got the book and i came home and i wrote uh like a 14 page letter with a bunch of polaroids of the picture of the mark in the yard that whatever had happened you know left and i sent it to him and it probably several weeks passed and I kind of forgot about it. And then I came home one night from going out with my friends. I was living with my parents at the time. And I had two little kids, little young kids. And mom was babysitting. And I came back. I came in the living room and she was asleep on the couch. And when I came in, she woke up and she said, hey, the guy who wrote that book that was freaking me out that you wrote to called. And I started freaking out. I was shaking. I remember she said the phone number's over by the phone, so you can call him. And I remember uh, picking up the phone and j- just feeling scared and wondering if this is what I really wanted to do, you know. And I dialed the number and he answered and I told him who I was and that was it. You know, three years later, he wrote, or, or I think three years later, Missing Time or uh, Intruders was published. And that was about my family and me i'm kathy davis in bud's book intruders those all the names in intruders were pseudonyms even copley woods is actually a pseudonym for where it all took place in indianapolis so that's how i met bud the experience that led me to write to him happened to me on june the 30th 1983 and uh i always like think of that particular experiences that when the finger came out of the dike and 
everything changed and memories came flooding back, not just of that night, but of previous things that had happened when I was younger, you know? So, uh, but on that night, which is the, this is the main story of intruders. Um, I, like I said, I was living with my parents. I had two little kids. I was about to go cut out uh, some patterns for a friend of mine who was a seamstress and she made costumes and she used to give me a little money to go uh, help her cut out patterns. I couldn't sew, but I could cut. So I was about to go over there and I was standing at the sink washing my hands and I was kind of just looking out the window at the backyard and the swimming pool. And I happened to notice that there was a light in the pump house at the swimming pool, which the pump house was off to the uh, north uh, side of the swimming pool, the end of the pool. And it was probably about as big as like a little metal shed or a mini barn, but it was made out of the same kind of uh, a sandstone that the house tri-level was made of. And uh, so it wasn't really very big, but I noticed the door was open and there was a weird kind of light coming out of it. I couldn't, I did the moment, I didn't realize exactly what, what it was about the light that struck me odd. But I think in retrospect, I realized that the light was more whitish and less yellow, like a regular light bulb should be, you know, whatever it was, it kind of th took me off guard. And I'm like, you know, I, I pointed it out to my mom and she told me not to worry about it. My dad was working um, at Ford at the time on second shift. So he wasn't, he wasn't home yet, but um, you know, so, it, so I was leaving my kids with my mom and I wasn't thinking about aliens or UFOs or anything like that. I was thinking about burglars. I got to get in my car and leave and I decided to check the back one more time before I went. The house was a tri-level and it had a split driveway. One part of the driveway went down to the garage that was attached to the house. And the other part went along the other side of the house, down the side of the property, past the swimming pool. And then there was a turnaround in front of my dad's workshop. So I thought I'll go down that side road and go to the turnaround just so I can get a look at the back of the house and see if there's anyone there before I leave. Even though I was just going one street over, you know. So I did that and I noticed that the pedestrian door to the uh, garage that was attached to the house was open. And that struck me as unusual because we don't leave that, we never left that door open. So, but instead of stopping, I went ahead and went on to Deanne's house because it was just like I said, two minutes, you know, the street behind us. And um, I called mom and I told her, hey, the pedestrian door to the garage is open. And I, I was a little worried about that because, you know, there would be stuff in the garage that people would steal. And uh, again, she's like, no, don't worry about it. I'll lock the doors. Your dad will be home from work for long. And, you know, uh, if I hear anything, you know, I'll just, I've got all the doors locked. And so she really didn't seem worried about it. My mom never got scared of anything. So I'm like, well, okay. So I hung up the phone and as soon as I hung up, she called right back. And she says, I want you to come home right now. And I thought, well, this is weird because she sounded kind of scared. And my mom didn't sound like that. And I think my friend and her husband could hear in my voice that I was disturbed by it. Because when I was talking to her, like, why? What's going on? Uh, her, my, Deanne's husband, Larry says, I tell him to call the police. That's what they get paid for. And she heard him and she said, no, no, I want. I don't want anybody here but you. I'm like, okay. 
So I got in the car. I told him I'll be back shortly. And I went ahead and went back home, pulled up to that side drive again. And this time I parked next to the house and got out and I went into the patio. We called it the Florida room. Daddy had built this little room with windows on it, you know, like a sunroom on the side of the house. And I went in that mom was in there and she's like, what are you going to do? And I took dad had a shotgun set behind the trash compactor back in that room and mom goes you know that's not loaded right and I said yeah I know it's not because when I moved in there with the kids one of the things I asked my father please don't you know don't leave the gun loaded around my around the house where one of the boys could get it so it we knew it was not loaded and I said well you know what whoever I encounter out there isn't going to know it's not loaded and I can get close enough to him to hit him with it you know <laughs> I thought I'm being brave and I'm not really a brave person at that point in my life uh, so that was kind of out of character for me but I did it went out walked around I looked in the pump house um, I went back behind the swimming pool and around where dad's workshop was because that's where the money was and um, didn't the door to the workshop looked okay. I didn't see anything back there. I did find my dog, Penny. Uh, she was crying and she was under dad's ladder truck, which was parked out in front of the workshop, but she wouldn't come out. So I'm like, fine, stay. And um, I walked back and I headed towards the pedestrian door at the garage. I headed towards the garage that's attached to the house. And I walked in and I thought in my head, well, if there's anybody here, they're in this garage because I don't see anyone anywhere else. And um, there was a set of mattresses leaned up against the wall. And I thought, okay, if there's someone in here, they gotta be behind those mattresses. And as I went to look around behind that mattress, the mattress set, I suddenly felt like I was on fire. I felt like uh, you guys don't know what hot flash feels like, but it was like a major hot flash inside. And then, you know, like my skin just felt like it was on fire. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, I got to get out of here right now. And I remember turning and running towards the open door. And when I hit the door, when I hit that open doorway in into it, something hit me in the chest, like right here where your stomach and your chest and everything meet right in the middle. And this light was so bright and intense that I know my eyes were closed, but I could still see it. And it hurt and it felt like it was burning and I, my eyes, and I, I felt like I was vibrating or shaking, you know, like this, it was beyond shaking, this vibration that felt like almost every single, I, it's like I could feel every individual part of me vibrate. You know what I mean? It, it was so intense, but I couldn't move. I couldn't scream out and I couldn't see anything but white. And I, do re I remember one thought oh my god I'm dead and I thought this is what it's like to be dead and then um I don't know how long that lasted I always say time stopped and people that scientists laugh at me I don't know what it feels like when time stops I have no idea but it just felt like every you know when something crazy happens everything kind of goes in slow motion it was kind of weird like that but it stopped the vibrating slowly stopped, the pain kind of stopped, but the intensity of the light really waned, went down. But um, at that point, I'm, I realize I'm, I'm kind of outside the doorway out onto the cement patio a little bit, but I don't remember walking there. I do remember feeling someone tugging on me from behind my shoulder, pulling me down. 
And I remember a burning sensation in this ear, um, my right ear, like in my mind, I, it looked like a, um, a knitting needle that was so hot that it was red with fire. That's how, I mean, that was the, I think the way my brain interpreted what I was feeling, you know, I didn't actually see that. I heard a voice say it was unfortunate that I had to feel pain. I didn't see anyone talk to me. And then uh, like I'm out on the patio and I, I can see in front of me, maybe 20 or 25 feet out in the yard is this ball of light about the size of a basketball. And it's much softer than what hit me, what just hit me. Uh, I could look at it and it didn't hurt to look at it. And it went down and then went back up real slow. And I felt for some reason as if it were looking at me. I don't know why it was just a light. It wasn't a person or thing. And I had noticed movement out in the yard. And this is a pretty good sized yard between the house and the swimming pool. The lot was a long, scared, uh, narrow lot, but it was a big one. And um, they looked like kids. My vision was really bad. At that point, my vision was messed up, like flashbulb, blotchy, messed up. Like, so, I mean, I could see movement. It was getting dark. I could see movement outside and here in front of me. And I thought there were kids in my mom's yard, mom, dad's yard. And I remember thinking, what are these kids doing in my mom, dad's yard? Because they weren't very, you know, they weren't full size adult size. And there were six of them. And they came from like all different parts of the yard. And they kind of lined up in front of me off to my right a little bit closer to the driveway. And then they started to just kind of slide down across the yard in front of me. They weren't coming at me, but they were like sliding down in front of me across the yard. And that's when, and I can't, I still can't move or scream or anything, but I can move my eyes and watch these things. And I'm thinking, what are these kids doing? And then I see that thing off to my left. It wasn't too terribly far from me. And the ball of light was, I don't know whether the ball of light was connected to it or it was next to it. But um, it wasn't very big. It was shaped like an egg. It was egg, egg shaped. It wasn't much bigger than the pump house. I mean, I've seen sheds. People have built many barns bigger than this thing. It wasn't that terribly big. And, and I don't remember seeing the actual, the kids actually going in it, but they were going towards it. But when I saw it, because I kind of panicked, and I didn't want to see it, but I didn't not want to see it because I was thinking in my mind, I needed to know if it was coming close to me. You know, it's like, it's like one of those things that you don't want to look at, but you can't not look at it because something in your mind is saying you have to know where this is all the time. And then, um, then I thought, oh my God, my kids. In my mind, I remember thinking, oh my God, my kids, they're in the house. And immediately I hear that voice again. I don't can't see anybody, but I hear someone speak to me and they say, your children are fine, you know, and in a tone that I'm like, I should take as you don't need to worry about them. And then I heard my name being called. And when I heard my name being called, it was different than the other two voices. The other, other two times I heard the, that voice, it was different. And when I heard my name being called, it was like someone snapped their fingers and everything I just described to you was completely wiped out of my head un until like two or three days later. 
And I remember turning at this point, I could move and I'm walking across the back patio and I go up this set of little cement steps to the upper patio, which is a little porch off the kitchen, uh, back kitchen. Mom is standing in the door. I later found out that mom actually was the one that called my name. I didn't realize who it was when I when at first, but it was actually my mother that had called my name. And when I got up to where she could see me, she said, is everything all right? And I said, yeah, everything's cool. But I'm thinking to myself at this point, I don't feel, I feel weird and I don't want to go back and sew or cut, you know? So I thought, oh, I'm going to go call my friend and see if she wants to come and we can go swimming. I mean, got this beautiful, uh, you know, cement swimming pool, Esther Williams pool. And it's a hot, you know, it's almost worth of July and there's night lights and everything. It's real cool. She used to come, likes to come and swim over at my house. So I said, Hey, instead of sewing, let's want to swim. She's like, Oh yeah, that's all right. She didn't ever mention how long I was gone. So it was like her and her husband were kind of shut off too, because later when Bud came and interviewed them, he was able to put together that from the time I got home to look till I called her and said, Hey, let's go swim instead. And then came over at her house and got him, And we went back. It was like an hour and a half, but I only remember uh, like 15 minutes and I still don't remember much more than that. And um, they were disturbed by the fact that I had been gone so long and they didn't seem to care about, you know, because they knew when I was coming back home, I was coming to investigate something that wasn't right. And so it bothered them that they didn't, they didn't realize how long I'd been gone because I remember Deanna saying to, to Bud, well, it can't have been that long because I would have been, you know, calling and finding out where she was. And he's like, no, here's, you know, he showed her the timeline and they're like, damn, but um, so anyway, I went back and got, got her, her daughter, her, her, you know, like 13 year old daughter or something like that at the time uh, and brought him back. We went swimming as we were walking across the backyard to get to the pool. Her daughter steps on something in the yard and we thought she stepped on a bee or something. She said it, her foot was numb and her leg was tingly and we got her to the pool and we didn't see anything. So we're like, you know, her mom's like, oh, get your foot in the, if it's a bee sting, the cold pool water, you know, it's got chlorine in it and it's cold. It'll feel good, you know, because we didn't see anything on her foot. So we're in the pool for a very short time and all three of us start feeling really nauseated and nauseous, you know, and my eyes at this point are like really hurting, burning. And I'm, my vision, I noticed that all the lights outside have like little halos around them. If you've ever been a kid and went swimming in a chlorinated swimming pool and opened your eyes for like an half an hour and then, you know, that, that fuzzy halo around, that's what my eyes were doing, but I hadn't gotten any chlorine in my eyes. So we, my friend, she's like, Hey, let's go to White Castle. Maybe that, maybe if we get something to eat, we'll feel better, which sounds crazy, but that's how we rolled. <laughs> So uh, we, we started to go to White Castle, but that got aborted pretty quickly and we decided not to. So they went home. I went home. I got up the next morning and my eyes were swollen shut. They hurt so bad that I could hardly stand it. I couldn't open them to see. So my mother took me to the emergency room. And I don't know why this doctor was in the emergency room, but he was an actual eye doctor not just a guy who does glasses, you know, 
And I don't know what he was in there for, but they sent him back to look at me and he had my mom. He told, he said, I have an office across the street Then I can really look at her a lot better there with my equipment. Can you bring her across the street? So that's what she did. And I remember when he looked in my eyes, first thing he said was, have you looked into the arc of a welder's torch? And I'm like, uh, no, mind you, I hadn't remembered that being hit with that bright light and all the burning and stuff at that point. So, you know, gave me a bunch of creams and medicines. It took weeks for my eyes to heal and uh, they've never been right since. As a side note, at, in my 30s, I was diagnosed with macular degeneration and cataracts that were so severe that by the time I hit 50, I had brand new, I had to have brand new acrylic lenses put in my eyes. Um, anyway, um, and my vision was completely changed. But um, anyway, back to the, that, not that weekend. So I get home, everybody comes over that following few days later on the 4th of July for a swimming party. Cause my whole family always showed up at mom's for swimming and barbecue and then lighting off fireworks, you know? Uh, and so the kids all run outside and then my nephew comes back in and he says, grandma, what's wrong with your yard? And we didn't know what he was talking about. Nobody had looked out the back door or, you know, paid any attention back there since that night. So all of the adults went out there and we're all kind of standing around this big mark. And my mom looks at it and she's like, oh, that's where our UFO landed the other night. And I looked at my mom and I'm like, what in the hell did you just say that for? I'm thinking in my mind, what the hell? But then when I looked back at the mark, I thought, oh, and that's when everything started coming back. I started to remember the light, the kids in the yard, the, I, all I could see were two big black eyes over this mark. This mark was about eight feet in diameter. It wasn't huge. It had a 20 or a 49 foot streak that came off one edge of it, kind of like a pinwheel, but it was long and narrow and it was two feet wide exactly all the way across the yard and the driveway and ended in a perfect arch. And all the grass inside was like this grayish brown looking and it just all was just laid over. It wasn't crushed or anything. It just kind of looked like it just laid down. And the dirt was hard. And there was a big open crack on one side closest to the garage. And later I tried to measure how deep the crack was with a yard, you know, with one of those little 12 inch rulers from school. And I accidentally dropped it and it, I lost it. <laughs> I never got it back. It went away completely. I don't know how deep the thing went. And the, and the dirt's stunk it smelled weird it smelled like um rotten eggs and uh just funky rotten and uh, it was subtle but if you got it you could get on your hands you could smell it i still have several chunks of it you know both my parents have passed away now and uh, the house was long sold but uh when I chunk up a bunch of it, I did my own experiment on it. I put a piece of it in a glass of water all day and all night. And the next day when I came back, it was still a chunk of dirt. It did, I thought it would dissolve and turn into mud or, you know, whatever, but it just, it looked like a rock. And um, I, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think. Uh, from that point on, you know, when I saw the mark in the yard and I started to remember not only that night, but things that happened when I was newly married, 
when I was a teenager, when I was a little kid, I mean, all these memories started to come back of things that I just had pushed aside for so many years, you know, and um, I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. And there was a period of time for probably a six months to uh, maybe well, longer than six months, probably starting uh, my dog that was back there that night. Eventually we had to put her to sleep because all her hair fell out. Her teeth fell out. Her eyes whited over and she just like fell apart. We thought she had mange at first, but then when she started getting the big black sores all over her, we thought this is a little more than mange, you know, and the vet put her to sleep and it was in the fall. Um, so it was a couple months later when she, when she finally, we lost her. And it was in that period of time, I was having these weird um, visions, nightmares. I would sit up all night long between the kid's bed the two little boys, twin beds. I would sit up all night waiting. I didn't know why or what for, but I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep till the sun came up and mom and dad got up and then I would like collapse. And I'm, I'm thank God for my parents every day because somebody else might've, you know, put me in a nut house for real. I mean, I was a mess. And I was drawing, I was writing down things, you know, words, symbols and stuff like that. So, and that's when I got the thought in my head to go back to the library and get that book, Missing Time. When I started remembering all this stuff, that and my older sister had had an experience in 1985. Or she was taking our mom to bingo and she's 11 years older than me. So I was just a little kid when this happened. In 1965, I should say. In 1965, she was taking my mom to a bingo game, which was in Indianapolis. And she um, dropped mom off at the bingo. And as she was driving down 10th Street, she suddenly felt this compulsion to pull into the parking lot of Holy Spirit Church on 10th Street. And she pulled into the church and she pulled around to the back. And she swears up and down when she got to the back of the church and looked up. There was a giant ufo above her car with colored lights all around it and it picked her entire car up with her in it it didn't just take her out of the car it took her whole car and her and she said and the next thing she remembered is she was waking up in her car in the parking lot it was dark and not only was it dark multiple hours had passed and it was time to go get mom from the bingo game she didn't remember all at the what happened in between but she remembered the UFO and she remembered waking up, you know, hours later. So, <coughs> and I remember hearing the family talk about it and her telling, you know, mom said that when she, she got mom from the bingo game, she was a wreck. She was so anxious and hyped up and was rattling off a mile a minute about all kinds of stuff. <clears throat> and so when I wrote to Bud, I also included that story i actually started with that story <laughs> and then told him about what happened on june 30th 1983 and then, then you know here here we are sorry it's a long one but and i oh. try to i try to cut it down for time but you know it's it's hard because every time i tell it over again i'm kind of living it a little bit you know or going through and my brain is so organized. I got to, <laughs> it's like, I'm watching it on a TV screen and I'm just telling you what I see. So. It's okay, Debbie. You see, it's, 
it's very good for you to get that out there because some people who listen to my podcast, this might actually help them, you know? So don't worry about the time. I mean, it's important. Well, that's one of the reasons I, you know, after Bud did the investigation, you know, he spent three years of his life, his money, because I didn't have any, I mean, I had to sell my washer dryer for my first bus trip to that I had in storage for my first bus trip to New York, you know, to see him, which that I thought I was insane for doing that. But um, so when he wrote in, you know, he, he came to the whole family and he's like, look, I, I think that this is something that we need to get out there for the world to hear about. He goes, and you have no idea how many letters I'm getting from people that have the, are telling me the same things you're telling us. And um, first, my family and I both were like, mm, I don't think so. You know, I didn't write you to get a book written about me. I wrote you because I felt like I was going insane and I didn't want to die. And I just wanted someone to help me. You know, I just want life to be normal. I just want to be normal. And um, but you know, he was pretty convincing after a while. He convinced the family that, okay, we could, we'll do this. And then I got voted spokesperson for the family. I took one for the team. My sister did not want to be out. She, she went with Bud and me one time when he spoke about it to tell her story. And then she was so uh, nervous by it. She's like, screw this. I'm not doing this anymore. You can tell him about my story because she goes, I, I don't like I don't like the way I feel. You know, she was it made her really anxious. And I, I'm like, I, I know that feeling, <laughs> but I felt obligated to Bud in a way because he spent so much of himself to help me. And I was I was doing better. You know, he was he did help me a lot. And I I hoped that he. Um, um, you know could help other people. And that's what he and I talked about, you know, your story is going to help a lot of people um, because there's a lot of people out there just like you. And he showed me a couple things that people had sent him that honestly, he thought it was, he thought he was doing me a favor by showing me like this one drawing this woman had done of the gray head. Um, And this was before intruders was even written. And none of our story was really in public anywhere you know, uh, some people in ufology knew about it, but that was probably pretty much it. And he showed me a drawing a woman had done. I think she was in Ohio. And when he first put it on the table at mom's, I said to him, was that mine? I don't remember giving you my drawing. And he goes, it's not yours. And I said, what? He goes, no, it's not yours. And he told me the name of the woman. And uh, I think her name, last name was McBride and where she was and he said she she had sent him this that she had encountered this and i looked at him and i said but that's crazy i said that's that's what came in my bedroom you know back in 78 and he said i know and i said but how how could she know that she would have to literally get in my head to know what i'd seen and he said or and and then it hit me you know or she saw the same thing I saw. And that was a double-edged sword for me because one, you know, you, it confirmed that what I saw, I didn't imagine, you know, 
but it also kind of wrecked my coping mechanism, which was to just say, I just had a bad dream. It was just a dream. Well, my dream couldn't get in some stranger in Ohio's head, you know, I mean, because this drawing was, you see a lot of different interpretations of the gray, you know, head and face. They all look kind of, you know, big eyes, little chin. This drawing down to the shading on the face and everything, it, I literally thought it was mine when I first saw it. I thought it was my drawing. That's, and it freaked me out so bad that I puked. I had to go upstairs and puke. So <clears throat> after that, I thought, you know what? Yeah, okay, I'll do this. Let's do this. We and I remember- you being, Huh? We appreciate you being on and telling your story. Oh, I, I appreciate you asking. I mean, I'm fortunate because most people that have had the experiences I've had, they don't have any support from family or friends. They catch a lot of crap from people and they get laughed at a lot. And I get laughed at sometimes, but you know what? I don't care. The people I care about, uh, they know because they've seen it. They've been there. I have the support of my family. I've had the support of many coworkers, even my boss at the time, neighbors, friends. I mean, I was fortunate. I was blessed. And I, if I hadn't had that now, I don't know if I'd have had the, the courage to, to speak out the way I did, but I was fortunate. And so I feel like I'm kind of paying it forward a little bit so that other people know that, you know, uh, I mean, I was just a regular person. I was a single mom with two little kids trying to find my way in the world. I had got to beauty school. And I got my beauty school certificate. So I was going to be a hairdresser, figuring out a way to raise my kids and take care of my kids without a man, you know, nothing personal fellas, but you know, I felt like I, it was something I needed to do for myself. And I and thank God for my mom and dad. They helped me with that. And all this other crap dumped on me on top of it. You know, I just wanted, I spent a lot of time trying to be invisible and blend in and just not notice. So when the book came out, you know, and I accompanied Bud to some speaking engagements and some some television shows and stuff. I mean, I was not thrilled. I was, every time I was in front of a camera or a microphone, I felt like it was going to faint because that, isn't, that was my, not my goal, but I knew it was something I had to do to, to do what my goal was, which was to find other people like me. That was the only way to do it, you know, and to, to help other people like me. So here I am. <laughs> and I'm glad that you've done that because everything that you told in that story, much like Bud Hopkins has pointed out, let me move this real quick. It all fits a narrative that keeps on happening to people, even with right down to the uh, hydrophobic ground, you know, and just touching that. You know what? Snow melted off of that mark for two, for the first year. That mark stayed in the yard for several years and it healed slowly like a wound. And the grass that grew in was thicker and kind of a, almost a purplish green color was darker, you know, like a hardier grass and snow melted off of that mark for the first year, the first winter that came, you know, we'd get a dusting of snow or an inch or two of snow. And within a half an hour, you could look out the back door and you could see that mark. The snow would literally just roll off of it. That, it, I don't have no idea why. Are you familiar with the uh, Delphos UFO case? 
I've heard about it. After, yeah, after 38 years, yeah, it's been mentioned a couple times. Yeah, that's the one. Kansas. I don't remember if it was from the 50s or the 60s, um, where the little kid actually saw the smaller UFO craft. It landed, left a ring that was hydrophobic, and then when he touched it, it would make his hand go numb. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. It's been a while since I got into that one, so I don't remember if his dog also got sick. But that's a striking parallel. Same with the vision issues. I mean, the reactions you were having to the whole scenario. It all fits right in there. For the first year after that, I was a mess. It seemed like I had no immune system. Every crap and crud that came through town, I got. And I had problems with like my glands would swell up and be sore for no reason. And then they'd go away after a couple of days. I'd start running low grade temperatures and then they would go away. Um, I, uh, what's the matter? Sorry, my dog, she's sniffing. Anyway, I, uh, um, it just, I just seemed like, you know, I was sick all the time physically. I developed irregular heartbeats. And uh, like colon problems, you know, bowel problems, stomach problems. And uh, I mean, part of that could have been, you know, anxiety and stuff, because I had severe anxiety, really bad for the first year after that, a lot of panic attacks and stuff. Uh, But and my fingernails, even now, my hair is real thin. My hair got real thin, and it never fully bloomed back. And uh, my fingernails, got real thin like paper and they got like not up and down lines but across way lines my my big toes still have the horizontal lines when they grow out all the other fingernails look normal now but the big toes still have the lines going across i don't know why you know i i worry that something else is going to happen to me because of that someday but i am 62 now so i have made it this far (laughs) That was one of the next questions was how uh, your feelings have changed since then. Yeah, they are. And it has been, it's been an odd journey starting out from that fearful, anxious, 20 something year old person that could barely function in life. uh, And, you know, to now I'm 62. um, The fear, I don't have the fear I used to have. I'm sure I would still be shocked. But fear-wise, I've come to a lot of conclusions about them. Uh, and I feel like if I was going to, uh, if they were going to hurt me, they could have done a long time ago. If they wanted to get rid of us, period, right, they could right. have done a long time ago. I don't know what they are, who they're, where they're from or what they're doing. But I feel, I don't feel that at least what, what I've been in contact with, I don't feel is a malevolent, I don't think there's an, uh, um, they're not bad. I don't know that they're, you know, happy space brothery either, but I don't think they intend any harm. But having said that, I also feel like there's uh, probably as many of different kinds of life going on around us as there are humans, you know, species of humans or, you know what I mean, races of humans. And they have different, humans have different agendas so I'm sure there's something out there with maybe not such good agendas uh, uh, and intentions for us, but that's, I can only speak for my own experiences. I, you know, 
So I can only speak for, for what I know. Do you, do you feel like you, they had an agenda for you or do you feel like you were just at a certain place at a certain time? Um, I, you know what, for a long time, I thought, well, I just the wrong place, the wrong time. But as I've gotten older and I began to realize things and change inside, I feel like this was destiny. I remember a conversation Bud and I had uh, shortly before the book was to come out and he took me, I was at his New York studio and there were boxes and boxes of letters from people like me from all over the world. And he said, look at this kid. He said, these people are all like you. And uh, I said, I, I had this little epiphany. I'm like, what? you know, I was in this box one time. Why me? Why, why was my letter the one you answered and my life the one you changed? You know, because honestly, there is absolutely nothing about me or my life that would be even remotely recognizable had I not met him. And he said, that's the $64,000 question, kid. And I said, I think it's destiny. And he goes, could be, could be. So, and I feel like now at this point, I think I, you know, I think this is why I was born. First of all, mom had my sister. 11 years it took her to get pregnant again. She went to the doctor and was told, you can't have any more kids. Not going to happen. Don't worry about it. So they quit trying. They move from, they move across town to this new house. And six months after they move into this house, and then we called it the UFO house because this is where the neighbors would climb up on the roof to look for, watch UFOs in the sky and all that stuff. Six months, uh, I was conceived and then born. And then about six or eight months after that, I was born. My brother was conceived and he was born. And then my little sister. So it's like, bang, bang, bang. After almost, almost 12 years and being told you couldn't have any more kids. So I think that's a little sketchy sometimes. <laughs> I do. I just, I feel like there's something I need to do. And I think this is probably it. Just, uh, you know, just tell, just to be here and tell people, because honestly, I feel like for everyone like me that has a story, I mean, everybody has a story for everyone like me that speaks out about their story. There are 50,000 people that probably have more extraordinary stories than I have that ain't saying nothing to nobody. And I want those people to feel comfortable telling their story because I don't believe we're going to get disclosure from a government. I believe that it's going to come from whoever it is that's out there on their terms and their time. Clearly they have the upper hand and us, the people have already interacted with it and had some experience. That's where it's going to come from. I want the pilots and the astronauts and all these military people and it's these police officers that are all afraid that have seen, and especially pilots and military pilots who've seen lots of crazy stuff, to not be afraid to tell the world what they've seen because they're afraid of losing their job or their pension. That's not fair. And I want, I, I'm, I hope that in some tiny way I can impact that, you know, help get rid of the stigma. Seems like overall, and go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Fred. You're good. Like overall, that's what's going on with uh, with you know with the release in June and and everyone talking about UFOs now and 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 it's in the mainstream. 
it's all kind of dovetailed for me as well. So that tells me I learned a long time ago to, to trust in the universe and know that it will put me where I need to be when I need to be there. Uh, and the more I trust that and follow my instincts, the better it gets. And I've, you know, I worked in a factory for 15 years, 15 years. I worked in a factory. I had one week a year, basically a vacation where I could actually do anything, you know, as far as speaking or anything goes. And I had this other book in my head that I knew I had to get out because I ain't getting no younger and dad had dementia and Kathy has dementia. You know, I don't want this to get lost in my brain, you know, before I got it out somewhere. And so, um, I'd been working on extraordinary contact for probably 10 years because part of it is my first book with my sister and all of the data, you know, I, it was written on like a uh, word for window or some crazy old stuff like that. So when I transferred it all over to Microsoft works or word, anyway, none of the formatting transferred. So I'd have like one sentence that made sense and then five pages of gobbledygook. Mm -hmm. So I had to literally go in there. I didn't know how to get a program to unscramble all that. So I did it manually. And that took like five years. <laughs> and then I added on to it and wrote more, you know, so I, and at the right when I, this is the, this is wild because right when I finished the book, um, I, I contacted uh, August Night Press, Robbie Graham, on the advice of Peter Robbins. And because I couldn't afford to self-publish, I had no money, you know, like for something like that. And, um, and it just so happened that Robbie and his publishing company had just gotten uh, or were getting a contract settled with the people who owned the rights to Missing Time and Intruders to republish them and bring them out again after 30 some years. And here I come bopping along with basically the third book in a trilogy, uh, you know, and it was like fate just weaved everything into it. I finished it during COVID. We were locked down for seven weeks out of work and at home. And that's when I finished it and found a publisher. And then at the same time, all the stuff comes out, you know, the Tic Tac videos come out and all the big articles from mainstream media. So it was just like the universe just kind of just, you know, brought it all together and brought, brought me to the exact place in time where I needed to be to do what I thought it was I needed to do. And so, I mean, to me, that says something much bigger than me or anybody else, but you know, but it also re it re it confirms to me that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing that I was born to do. So, well, even with some of the experiences you've given that have happened to you, I feel like that in itself would help a lot of people. Um, when they hear things like that, it makes them realize they're not alone in the scenario. So, and you know, I'm not some I, I'm not some crackpot that that I mean, people probably think I am. Some people I don't care though. I worked in a factory for 15 years. My bosses love me. I showed up every day. I keep a house. I I have a husband. I had kids. I had grandkids. I had a life. I, I you know, this 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 is a part of my life. And the book, you know, is a part of my life, but it's not 
how I make my living, you know, <laughs> I had a job. So uh, I didn't want people, I was kind of feeling weird because I didn't want people to think, oh, she just wrote a book and, you know, she wants to make money. Look, you don't make money off this stuff. Trust me. That's why I had I, my great factory job for 15 years. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I, I'm just, I've been thankful that everything has just kind of fallen into place like I said, that just tells me that I'm on the right track, that I'm doing the right thing. And I'm very glad that you put that book out because the second you did, I mean, I'm constantly watching Amazon for good research. Um, the second you did, I trust me, I pre-ordered it and I got it. Oh, I appreciate that. I hope you got some good out of it. Oh, I feel I like if I said or did, if I wrote one sentence that, somebody needed to hear then i did what i came to do you know mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i believe personally you're helping a lot of people by doing it even oh, with Thank my you. own research let me show you something real quick i think this is podcast number 13 and i've already gone through a three subject notebook <laughs> just on notes of your case and a ton of other ones because I like to be thorough. So this information, Good, yeah. I like to put it out there and make sure people do get it. So trust me, you're helping a lot of people. Well, I'm glad. I appreciate that. You know, it's probably a lonely feeling for some time for you, but I mean, I guess what we're trying to say is it's, you know, there's a lot of people who are just, just like you who witness the same thing and everybody's trying to piece together certain things in their life you know that's just interesting to me that's why i'm in the field i appreciate uh you sharing that with us sure i don't have all the answers i mean there's a lot of people out there that seem it seems like they have all the answers or they think they do i don't i i can tell you what i remember seeing and i can tell you there's a whole lot i still don't remember and i may never remember and you know might might be good with that i don't know but i feel like now at this point in my life when i if i need to i will i'll remember but um i i was my own biggest skeptic for a long time i mean i did all kinds of stuff trying to figure out what could make the mark in the yard what could what could have caused the, the light in my you know backyard that night all kinds of stuff um i could find people that could tell me what it wasn't but no one could tell me what it was mm -hmm. and uh, you know eventually i came to the realization that you know i don't know what this was and even now the you know bud had a more negative view of it than i do uh you know and he was and dave jacobs is even farther off on the negative trail than bud was but uh you know bud did not think it was a good thing and uh, or any of that stuff i i wasn't you know I was, I was there first in the beginning, I was scared to death, but you know, I, as I got older and learned more, I really wasn't there like him, but he was a kind and good person. And he allowed me to grow in whatever direction I needed to go, you know, and supported me, whatever it was, even if he didn't believe as strongly in some of the things that I felt as he did his own personal beliefs, you know, and, but uh, that's how a good researcher should be. But um, I, uh, 
I find after all these years, uh, I, I almost have more questions than I had 38 years ago. You know, I'm, uh, and I'm still a work in progress. I still, I'm grow and learn every day. So, but I think each of us holds a little piece of the puzzle and the more of us that come together, the more uh, what that puzzle is, looks like together is gonna become clearer, so. Mm -hmm. oh. I'm, I'm just glad you came to talk to us. Um, <laughs> like, it's hard to get a hold of some people, like not everybody wants to talk to you. Um, I believe I even reached out to David Jacobs at one point, and I still haven't seen anything from him. But I suppose I hold more of a neutral kind of viewpoint of it. Um, it's kind of like you said. If they wanted to just eliminate people, they could. Um, usually abductees are returned. So, I mean, I don't find it negative, but I don't exactly find it positive either. I think it's right there in the middle. Yeah, whatever damage was done to say my eyes, you know, or anything else on me, I think was um, inadvertent. I don't think it was an intentional thing. I think it was like a side effect of something else that they didn't realize, you know. Um, even Travis Walton, for years, you know, everybody saw him get hit by the beam of light and everything. And now, if you go and hear him speak, He's, he's of the opinion that he thinks they picked him up because they thought they killed him because of exposing him to that beam. And they were trying to fix what they thought they had broke, you know, and save his life before they fixed him or, you know, and yeah. cut him back loose. So. Yeah, I've heard that also. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that, uh, at least, like I said, I can only speak from my own experience my own what i've seen and and i don't feel any of that was uh malevolent in any way as a matter of fact I almost feel protected i know this sounds a little crazy like none of it not like none of the rest of it does but I almost feel like uh you know I almost feel a little bit protected like you know um i mean i had a psychic one time an old psychic lady that my little sister used to love to go to and i went and she laughed, threw her head back, and she goes, oh, my God. She goes, the spirits are all around you. They really get a big kick out of you and the, the things that you do. And I'm like, okay. She said, it's like a party around you. <laughs> I said, okay, thanks. I wish I could access it, you know. But I, I do. I feel um, almost protected sometimes. Like, I don't know how to describe it. I, I got COVID um, in the beginning of uh august i had my vaccines because i'm old and i got a lot of health issues you know uh with the stomach and all that uh and you know like i'm 62 so i did get my vaccination so it was four months out from my second vaccine and i got covid and I, well i wasn't terribly sick thank god i uh did not feel good for about seven days and my taste everything tasted like metal and and chemicals and so it affected my taste a little bit but um one night uh I, my husband and i were sleeping in separate rooms i was quarantined from the household and um uh i always fall asleep with the tv on and something to block out my mind you know the sound and uh 
I woke up at eight o'clock in the morning and my sleep was a little weird too. Cause I was like up later and sleeping during the day more, but I was, you know, sick. So, but I woke up at like eight o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom and I realized my TV was off and I'm like, huh, why, why, I wonder why he turned my TV off. Cause he never normally would not come in and do that and really shouldn't be in there with me because I'm quarantined. But uh, I thought, why did he turn my TV off? I got up and went to the bathroom, went back to bed, went back to sleep. And while I was laying there in bed, I uh, heard people in my room talking in a language that I didn't understand. And it was kind of muffled, like they were kind of far away. And I opened my eyes. And when I opened my eyes, there was no one in the room. The room was still dark because I had room darkening curtains because I was a night shift worker for 15 years. And um, uh, the TV wasn't on and I thought, that's weird. And I closed my eyes again and I heard, and they start talking again. And I felt like they were talking about me. They weren't talking to me, but they were talking about me. And um, I fell back asleep. And when I woke up again, the TV was on, it was 10 o'clock. The TV was on. I got up and I'm like, I went to my husband and I said, Hey, why did you turn the TV off in my room? And he goes, I didn't turn it off. He goes, all the TVs, all of the cable boxes, even the router to the computer, shut down at 8 20 or something like 8 30 which would have been right about when I had the dream when I was hearing people talk about me you know in some language I didn't understand so anyways that was weird and I wrote it all down we made notes you know that's the kind did of your mom, huh did your mom have any uh information on on that time when when that happened to you back then and was there any power disturbances at your home um not at our home but then uh, that mom never said the neighbor next door and the neighbor across the street when bud came to interview uh you know and talk when he decided he was going to write a book or doing research and he first when he first came out to the house the first time he went knocking on doors and the neighbors so he went to the lady just uh north of us and then the lady across the street from us the lady north of us said uh, and her husband was there and said that they saw or she saw a bright flash come from mom's backyard. And about the same time, her television screens all went red and she was hysterical. Uh, when Bud spoke to her husband, her husband said he got when he got home from work, she was hiding behind a couch, shaking like a leaf because she thought someone was coming to get her in the house. And then when he went to the gal across the street the gal across the street was a shift worker she was a night shift nurse at the local hospital and so she was in bed but she was due to get up pretty soon you know to start getting ready for work but she had she was in bed and she said she was awakened by her house shaking and the sound of roaring she said she told bud it sounded like a jet plane was about to crash into her house and the weird part about that was that all the clocks and everything on the front part of the house, which is closest to mom and dad's, stopped. Mm -hmm. but, that, but the clocks in the back of the house and the electricity in the back of the house continued to run. And she thought that was weird. But who, who you know, she didn't have anybody to tell, but when he was asking her about this date and stuff. So there were those two folks. I don't. I don't remember mom saying anything about electrical stuff that night. I might be losing it, but I don't recall that. 
but um anyways the the dream that i had that they were talking about me when when i woke later that day i felt fine my fever was gone my throat wasn't sore i felt fine and my quarantine ended two days later and even though they said that i probably would still test positive for a while uh, and my girlfriend had gotten COVID and she tested positive for six weeks after she felt better. Uh, I went and got a test. I went and got another test, the big test that takes, you know, like 36 hours to get the results back. Not a, not a rapid test. And my COVID test was negative so quickly. And it made me think, okay, maybe there was something to, maybe they were, maybe somebody was talking about me. Maybe somebody would watch it over me. You know what I mean? I mean, I can't prove anything. That's just where they call it an anecdotal story, but it's, it is what it is. And coming from somebody that's had a weird life like mine, who knows? Could be something, maybe nothing. Yeah, anecdotal stories. You know what? You can usually tell if somebody's very genuine or not. And obviously, Debbie, you're very genuine. Um, well, so thank I, you. I'll just try to tell people what I remember. Yeah. See, if people don't buy it, you know, that's just on them. If they conduct more research, they're going to find other people have the exact same experience. And it's really not that weird. And you know what? I don't blame people. And I don't, and I don't really, I don't get angry or defensive because I feel like, look, I realize how weird most of this sounds. And if honestly, I hadn't lived it and seen it and had other people around me, you know, it, it's not just me, but family members, neighbors, friends. If I, you know, if I didn't have all that, I, I would wonder how I wondered anyways. And I had all that. So I don't blame them for questioning it or doubting it. You know, I mean, they're entitled to that. I don't blame them at all, but I'm just telling you, it is what it is. And, you know, take it for whatever you want to take it for. Yeah, I'm more or less referring to like some of the people who, for lack of a better term, excuse the language, you're just fucking assholes about it. You know? <laughs> oh, I um, know plenty of them. Yeah, where it's like right in your face, mm -hmm. and yet it's still not the case. So if you I ever hold up a ball in front of your face, it's still a square somehow, you know? Yeah. You ever hear of a guy named Phil Class? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Here's the deal. Mr. Class wrote a shitty book about my about UFO abductees and in it there was a chapter about mom and me okay but the thing was that this asshole never bothered to interview us ever at all I'd never talked to him didn't know anything about him he made some ridiculous assumptions that and he had no idea I mean I and I thought why would you say things like that about me and my mom you never met us so I was in Pensacola, Florida one time for a conference with Bud and he was there. I chased his ass all over that complex for two days and I finally caught him. I got him in a corner and I said, excuse me, Mr. Class, my name is Debbie Jordan because that was my name at the time. And I said, I just want to ask you, why did you write such horrible things about mom and me in your book? We're not bad people. And if you had wanted to talk to us and ask us questions, we would have been more than happy to sit down and talk with you. Why did you just make up a bunch of lies about us? It's not nice. It's not fair. 
And he was like, uh, 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 just dumb. And, and by the time I finished what I was saying to him, we had a little crowd around us and everybody knew who we, <laughs> we both were. And he's like, well, you know, uh, he made some comment about mom, you're, you're really, you're a nice lady and your mom raised you, raised you right. You know, because I wasn't screaming at cussing at him. I was just being honest and asking him the next morning when I got up, there was a knock on the hotel room door. And when I opened the door, there was a stack of books in front of my door and they were all books that Philip class had written and, and they were all inscribed to me and they were all nice inscriptions they weren't nasty or hateful at all or anything and then he invited me he asked me if I would like to have dinner with him and Mrs. Class which uh I don't even I don't think she was even there and I so I have no idea why he would and I'm like no that's all right thanks I'll pass but thanks for the invite you know so uh and but once I confronted him you know I don't think he really ever said anything bad about me again but I told him just like I'll tell anybody if you have a question, if you want to know something, I'll tell you what I remember, you know, I mean, I'm old. I might even not remember all of it anymore. Hell, there's sometimes I don't even remember what I had for dinner last week, you know, or yesterday. I got to think that's why I wrote a book so I could, so I could get it out of my head before I lost it. So, um, but yeah, Phil, Phil, he was a piece of work. There's a difference between a skeptic and a debunker. Phil Class was a debunker. I don't have problems with skeptics, not at all, one bit. I think skepticism is healthy and needed, especially in this field. So yeah. Phil was just an asshole. Phil Class is more or less what I'm referring to as an example. <laughs> yeah. Because I believe that same thing. You got to be open-minded yet skeptical. So right. That, that's kind of where I go with that. And Philip Class in general, he was well known for doing that on many different occasions, including the Travis Walton case, actually. Yeah. So I hope that, you know, the things have changed a lot in 38, 39 years. Definitely. The attitude has improved tremendously, but there's still a lot of work to be done and we have a long way to go. And I hope that we're, I feel hopeful that we're headed in the right direction, you know. And it seems to be with people like you coming out and speaking about it, it helps other people get out there and be able to do that as well and feel a little more comfortable. Like I said earlier, knowing that they're not alone. Good. That's, that's the goal. That's my goal. Yeah, that's my goal as well. I, I'm tr I try to be as open as I can for the most part on this podcast, like anybody who wants to come on is able to come on. So, I mean, I definitely appreciate it. Well, I appreciate being asked. Oh, absolutely. I'm, you know what, like I said, I'm just glad that you came on because I've been interested in your story probably since, oh, like I was a kid and I remember seeing a couple documentaries with you on it, surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean yeah I'm pretty old <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not too old I'm getting up there but not really it's just I, always I bet I have kids older than, older than you <laughs> let's see I'm about to turn 31 maybe oh <laughs> yeah my oldest son is 43 
You're still not that old. <laughs> Hopefully I'll, la- I'll last a while. I feel like I still have a lot of work to do and I'm not ready to check out just yet. So hopefully I'll hang on for a bit. No, you're looking good and healthy. Thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. But I, I think we'll end it here, Debbie. Um, so how can some of our people reach out to you if they would like to talk to you or even find some of your work? I have a website and my husband's been doing it for me for 20 some years now. And it's at www.debshome.com. It's like D-E-B-S-H-O-M-E. And on that website, you can read about my story from June 30th, 83. You can see things that's happened since then. Uh, There's some pictures on there of uh, people I've met through the years and some drawings I've done and um, you can email me through that website. So you can, you can write to me if you want to tell me about your experiences and it's just between me and you, I'm not going to post it on my website. You know, everything that everyone sends me is private. I try to answer everybody personally, you know, and I'm, I'm always there, you know, 24 seven, send me an email. If you feel like talking about something and I'm here and if I can, like direct you to somebody in your area for further assistance. I would, I'll do everything I can to help facilitate that as well. You know, so you can get me there. Good. I just want to thank you again for coming on. Um, And I want to thank you for helping people like that. Um, I know a lot of people won't do that anymore. So personally from me, I do want to thank you for that. Well, thank I appreciate it. Yes, it thank you as well, Debbie. Appreciate you being here. I, and if you, if you could, if you have any names, anybody you could refer to us as well, we'd appreciate that. If anyone that would like to come on, okay, I'll I sure will. All right. Well, thank you, Debbie. <laughs> I hope you have a good day, and I want to appreciate or I appreciate everything you've done. Mm, All righty. Well, have a good night. Too, All right. Bye. Bye, guys. Nice. Now I want to thank Ryan for coming on for being my co-host on this. And what I think I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start uploading my podcast every two weeks, okay? Because this is a lot. It's not that I need a break. It's just I do this pretty consistently. And I want to come up with some good episodes for you guys. Maybe find some more people to interview. But I think every two weeks or so, along with the podcast, I'm going to hop on Zoom and I'm going to record a video and have Ryan co-host with me. I think that's where we're going to start doing our UFOs and the paranormal. So we'll do a separate video each, you know, every two weeks of UFOs and the paranormal. Me and Ryan will be there. So I want you guys to check that out. It'll be badass. So thank you again, Ryan, for being my co-host. I also want to point out that abductees, the real ones, have a, a really rough time with these kind of situations. So if you know somebody and they actually do talk to you about it, Don't sit there and fucking bag them. Listen to their story, try to help them. And try to 
find a way, the best way you can to help them. I know sometimes it's hard to believe, but as you heard from Debbie, there's serious things that go on. It's very traumatic. And I don't think we should bully people or fucking bother them. And I've actually seen that a lot just on some Facebook groups. Harkening back to one of the admins I was talking to about aliens peering through the window, which is reported. And people just badgered her ass over it. Well, I want you all to know that you're welcome to come on my podcast. Or even just message me. And you're able to talk to me about it. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to tear it apart. If you haven't noticed, I'm pretty open to everything. I may think that they are extraterrestrials. But that is subject to change. In this field, you have to evolve over time. Go where you're directed to go. Go where your research takes you. But don't sit there and bag people. If they're obviously a liar, just leave them the hell alone. And if you're an abductee, please find some form of help. I will help you. Just talk with you. Doesn't have to be on the podcast. Debbie will help you. I can point you to somebody that will help you as well. So if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just go ahead and email me at theufos at yahoo.com. Or even if you're having experiences, you just want to get it off your chest. Reach out to somebody like Debbie. Reach out to me. We don't have to put it on the podcast. I'm here to help. As is Debbie. We're all just trying to figure this out together. So feel free to reach out to any of us. I want to thank you guys for joining me again. Please like and share my podcast. I'm starting to do YouTube videos now. So go ahead and check those out. And I'm willing to support any UFO group out there. So if you just need a little support for one of your Facebook groups or something, just reach out and let me know. And I'm willing to support you. And I'll put it on the podcast.